This podcast is protected under the laws of the United States and other countries. Unauthorized duplication, distribution, or exhibition may result in civil liability, criminal prosecution, and the wrath of the tall man. <laughs> Boy! Hey, let's talk about you, the ID10T community events at ID10T.com, like Russ Stevens, a.k.a. Cool Movies Darth, who uh, has started a podcast called 90 for Chill, uh, which Russ says is dedicated to movies with a runtime between 74 and 99 minutes, the time frame that I feel is ideal. Russ, I could not agree with you more. That is a fantastic idea. Uh, Russ goes on to say there are times you need a cinematic fix but don't have time for the latest Scorsese masterpiece or offering from a comic book universe. There's also times when you know you need a conclusion to prevent a binge costing you a whole night. Um, my guests and I try to follow these guidelines as we chat up features that are definitely worth your time and are beyond easy to make time for. 90 for Chill, the podcast, can be found on all major podcast platforms at 94chill.com, and that's spelling out 90, uh, N-I-N-E-T-Y, 4-F-O-R, chill. Um, so there you go. Thank you so much for sharing, Russ. A uh, really great idea for a podcast. Events at ID10T.com for everyone else. Little hands, it's time to rock and roll. Bring the noise. Hello, everyone. It's time to play a game. You all pretended to cure me, but what I have planned for each of you is very real. Peace came upon me. No light. No sound. The only thing I have not provided is your anesthetic. But trust me, you will want to remain alert. Out of all the men to cheat, you picked John Kramer? Please, don't hesitate. Place a big enough piece of your cerebral tissue into the glass enzyme tank. This will save your life. So sleep, silent This is not retribution. It's a reawakening. Live or die, the choice is yours. Welcome to this memento-style episode of 90 for Chill, the podcast with Cat Bus Russ. This is your host, Cat Bus Russ. And if you want to get an idea of what might be on the show next, you can follow me on Letterboxd. My username there is cmdarth. That's C as in cool, M as in movies, Darth as in a Sith Lord. And if you want to fill your house with my dulcet tones, you can ask your Amazon Echo or Google Nest device to play... 90 for chill the podcast and i think that will get you there it's kind of weird to have two feeds and it's kind of like well i'm trying to establish the cat bus rust title as a brand in a sense i guess as an artist i should say that's that's the word i'm looking for it's job to work i'm working on it but yeah so we are finally gotten around i think to the episode i was kind of trying to make last week 
I I know. I'm sorry that I don't have a guest this week, but I've got two lined up. Uh, actually, three, but that's going to be a separate one. And hey, with spooky se- season, I'm definitely looking for guests. And if you want to talk scary movies, that's what I'm looking for. I can make anything work. And heck, I got a hell of a task ahead of me, it looks like, for next week's episode. So that's what's going on uh, right now. But, as I say, memento style. So... I am going to put in a couple, well, uh, basically a couple of reviews after uh, this one for movies that I was kind of building towards getting to this feature, which this feature is going to be uh, Saw X. I guess we're going to call it X just, well, now that I think about Elon freaking Musk, Saw Twitter. No, 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 no. We'll call it Saw 10. Um, And... Basically, my plan last week was, oh, I'll do an Expendables, I'll do an original, you know, like, it was about Expendables 4, obviously, and the idea was, well, I got to see Hellraiser 3 and over the weekend, I wanted to get pumped for Expendables 4, so I watched X- the Expendables 2, and yeah, it just, uh, when Unleashed was my DVD from Netflix, second to last DVD, I think, my last DVD officially is John Dies at the End, and I had a great episode with Kodiak Thompson about that, where we talked about all things Dom Co- Don Coscarelli. Well, all things under 100 minutes with from Don Coscarelli, which is most of his filmography. Sorry about the Beastmaster not making that cut. But, um, yeah, just a little too long, a little too epic. And I guess that's what I was worried about with Saw X. Um... And I'm not going to, it, there seemed like, I really wanted, like, these are night, so, with the exception of Saw 3, they're all 100 minute movies at the most. So, when I saw this is nearly a two hour runtime, which it definitely didn't feel like it, so maybe IMDB screwed that one up. Um, I was kind of like, oh great, Saw 3, my least, uh, the Saw, I just can't, can't enjoy uh, was a nearly two hours, and that was supposed to conclude the series. And so I was a little bit worried, but I think it all paid off. I think I could have done a little uh, messing around the exposition um, to make it a little shorter, tighter. But I think it um, it ends up paying off where you want it to pay off. It just takes a little while to get going. It's not like, uh, well, the first Saw movie. It was, uh, you know, you throw our victims right in the opening of the movie. And this one is about John Kramer. Basically, Saw 10 has gotten to the point where, in this franchise finally, and maybe we should have thought about this all the way back after Saw. Well, I guess they didn't really fit it in. I guess this should have been Saw 3, essentially. Um, like... I don't know. Maybe we'd need another movie. Maybe we didn't. But we've come to the point where we want to cheer on uh, Saw. I guess not to say that we came to that point. It's just like, well, what can we do to amuse our audience? And after nine movies, uh, only eight if you discount uh, Spiral from the Book of Saw, which I've also done a podcast about, uh, you get to um 
you know, we we're there to see the traps essentially. That's five through five through jigsaw and you know, it's like we just but we need Tobin Bell as John Kramer aka Jigsaw to keep our, you know, to keep us in tune. And with that, so basically as I say, this is the movie where John here John Kramer is the hero, the protagonist. He goes to Mexico City after being told by somebody who said he found a doctor who could cure his cancer. He went to Norway to do it, but this doctor's not getting approved because big pharma. So, man, now that I bring that up, it's kind of like, well, good message on this one. Just like uh, Saw 6 is about the healthcare system, which is one of my favorites of the series. Uh, so... Instead of Norway, he finds this group in Mexico City. And, like, you watch the trailers. They put in different scenes, scenes like, well, uh, he gets goes to Mexico City. He comes back home and finds out, oh, they didn't do any surgery on him. So he still has a brain tumor. With that said, this movie, it's just basically he figures it out right away. And... He goes, and I think this might be the first movie with two trap survivors from individual games, I should say. And, uh, like, I think, well, you had Saw 5 and Saw X, no, Saw, Saw 7, uh, the final chapter. So there's, um, so I guess, you know, kind of don't feel too bad for uh, Kramer that much in this one. And, but immediately once he finds out he isn't cured he tracks down the fir- the first contact he had and gets the names he's looking for and is able to call Amanda in to help them set things right straighten these people's out uh, and you actually get a possible antagonist for sequels in this feature which is a good bit of fun I guess three survivors if you technically but oh great may have spoiled it but it's it's fun in the sense that at least from the actor standpoint they get the band back together together shawnee smith and i'll leave it there no no carrie ellis i guess i could have probably thrown a guess out for something some other person um but yeah it's it's fun to see the old faces and being used very well in this one which is something I think Saw 3 screwed up with the Amanda character. So, a little redemption. I guess I'm just in the really old probably a problem I have getting the band back together is there's just actors who age, sadly. So, this is going to be set, I believe, after Saw 2. And with that, you know, it's been 18 years since then. And Shawnee Smith was in her late 30s at the very least then so yeah i i don't mean to sound cruel like that it goes back to clerks 3 it's like i think clerks 3 is a great movie nearly perfect well i wouldn't say nearly perfect because kevin smith is not the director we want him to be um at least not with clerks his horror movies give those a go i would even say um yoga hosers is a pretty solidly directed feature um, Clerks 3 is very well directed, except, but it, he decides to just, instead of 
reshooting everything from Clerks with older people, he just decides in the end to just, oh, I'm just going to use the actual movie Clerks to do that. Hey, if that gets the rights out of the Weinstein's family, fine. Okay, so that's one flaw. I went over the exposition, could have been a lot tighter. Um, but I think the director in this time, Kevin Greer, who directed, I believe he directed six, seven, six, and seven, the final chapter, Saw 3D. Um, I think he's really, he really calmed down and improved as a director in this one. You don't have the frantic cuts you get making like, oh, panic must be explained by fast cuts. Uh, constant. You do get some, but not nothing excessive you're almost waiting for when am i gonna see that in these torture scenes and you don't really get them as much as you it's honestly comes out when more that john kramer's own individual battle we're trying to come to terms with he is definitely going to die now um and good uh, good work on the um continuity you got windows and X. NT, NT, I think it was, a computer that John's working on. You got Blackberries. So that was, uh, so they made, they paid attention to this. They really went out their way to make this one for the fans. As I say, getting the band back together and making John Kramer the hero. You want to see his vengeance in this movie. And you, technically not vengeance. He's just trying to help these people out, you know, make better decisions. All you have to do is cut off a leg and extract some bone marrow or brain tissue, you know. He's not, you know, nothing you can't recover from. You know, the only thing I get angry about is the timer. Like, I mean, do we have to make these games so frantic? I mean, three minutes to saw through your leg. And granted, there's a lot of ways... I, I mean, quit your bitching, you know, after, that, that's been a problem with the series is like, after somebody goes through, a, you watch somebody go through a painful game, and then they still bitch about everything until they have to panic and get there and succeed in their game. So it was a, so yeah, three minute clocks, not necessarily cool, uh, but it's a great uh, twist, I mean... I guess you can kind of see where the twist the twists are kind of obvious, uh, but you don't you don't really think about the twist until like the last, um, last port um, till the till the third act. How how and you still endure the bloodboarding sequence, and it's great to put children at risk in this movie. Sorry, I mean it's something Saw hasn't done aside from uh, the first fi- the first film. So, you know, it it tries to st- step over new lines, and I kind of dig it. And again, I was saying the direction was, I think this is the best directed feature Kevin Grit, uh has done has done, uh, especially in the Saw series. Like he again, he doesn't do the frantic cuts. He edited it, so maybe he was wise to that as well. And. You know, besides not doing the frantic cuts, there's the, um, he just shoots the action, I guess is what I'm saying. He kind of Kevin Smith's it, or even John Carpenter's. It's like, 
frame the violence and go from there and you know not try to be fancy with it basically you have a great story um and you know with that said you know what you're doing you know what you want and you you show it he didn't write this movie um i know the saw four through the final chapter were all written by the team behind feast and there's weak points and strong points during those series, uh, th- during those movies. Uh, four is kind of like resetting it, so you ca- that's kind of excusable. And I liked five for the first group game. Um, and the writers, though, were the minds behind, I mean, at least who penned uh, Jigsaw. So it kind of shows, not, yeah, Jigsaw. So it kind of shows you this movie is kind of what they were trying to do when they were attempting the soft reboot to the series with the eighth feature. Um, but they didn't try to break, keep Jigsaw alive. So, I mean, we can do a bunch of, you know, movies within this two month period. I think that, uh, Kramer still has before the cancer will take him. And, um, so we got a fun little point to go with if we want to make movies like that, but we are going to have to just accept, we have to create a new idea and maybe the way of doing it would have been instead of playing to the fans would be go back to jigsaw like okay we already have our heroic apprentice one that you're not angry at like we eventually do with uh mark hoffman uh costas mandalore's character so that's a uh, kind of this is what i think jigsaw 2 or saw 9 was supposed to be and we just went and corrected it so we can have more Tobin Bell and probably a wise move, but it's only a temporary uh, fix on this. It's a band-aid on the reverse bear trap head wound. I usually like to go with the Kennedy head wound, but I digress. So yeah, solidly directed. Uh, The violence, the gore is nice. I will say that. And I guess with the game's... You know, I complain about the time, like, I wouldn't bitch so much. So there's also an element of me, like, like there is a trap in a dream sequence. Not a dream sequence. Uh, well, a daydream sequence. And it's like, okay, why, why did this guy fail? All you had to do was, oh, this is going to happen. So why don't I just do it all at once? All the actors are great. The uh, antagonist... I guess there's something like maybe a little too cold by the end, but it's kind of like eventually you have an element of like, well, she may have had an idea that she was dealing with Jigsaw and now it's time to match wits. And I don't really think that. uh, So maybe that was a little too extreme, but it makes her a great antagonist for future films. So how are we going to get there? I don't know, but there's potential and hey we might not even have introduced a new apprentice to that one the blood porting trap you know could change anybody so that is uh saw x or saw 10 and yeah it's kind of disappointed the freaking and i don't know i don't watch a lot of tv so i don't know what the commercials are and I guess YouTube thinks I'm not the target audience for the Paw Patrol. I didn't know they had a movie coming out this week. That's your number one at the box office. But this one outperformed uh, the Ex- Expendables 4. So that's good for Lionsgate. Lionsgate 
plan their schedule well so kudos to them and yeah this is another one i'll be picking up uh once the fiscal release happens and with an 18 million dollar take this weekend and this film being shot entirely in mexico city which is weird because they got canadian tax credits hey i'm just reading the credits i you know we are ready we can we can do it we can have a saw 11 let's let's keep this thing going uh there's plenty of fuel and it's not and i think uh going back to the basics like when you think about spiral you know chris rock uh samuel L. jackson trying to get big mainstream actors involved may have uh, been a little too pricey a move but now i think we've done the course correction needed finally and as i say let's get on to saw 11 uh otherwise let me uh just wrap this up and we'll get into hellraiser 3 and expendables 2 and we'll follow that up with the uh other half the final part of the equation so this episode is saw 10 equals puppet master 2 times the product oh jeez i don't know my math well okay so puppet master 2 times the result of hellraiser 3 hell on earth plus the expendables 2 so x x is 2 times the product of 3 plus 2 so there you go could have gone with the 23 angle but we're in a month where we're going to have a Friday the 13th and Halloween, so I think we got enough scary stuff to t- chat about. With all of that said, if uh, before we get on to that, let me go and wrap this all up then, at least the formality. And heck, I know, you guys may have only been here for Saw X Opinion. So if you want to be a guest on the podcast, send an email to russthebus07 at gmail.com. That's R-U-S-S-T-H-E-B-U-S-0-7 at gmail.com. Offer me a movie, a theme, a director, an actor. Try to focus on movies between 70 and 100 minutes. I know, why are you talking about a two-hour Jigsaw movie? Well, when you make a golden movie like the original Saw and then Saw 2, and you do it for under 100 minutes, I think you earn the expansion of your um, franchise, your subject, your universe. Say if you have Amadeus, which I don't want to do in October. It's not... It's spooky season. With a little work, we can do that. Take different approaches to it. And I think we can get there. So we can uh, do anything. But please, you know, the show is about... Even with the crazy stuff that I'll be doing this month, it is about the movies between 70 and 100 minutes. Email to russthebus07 at gmail.com. That's R-U-S-S-T-H-E-B-U-S-0-7 at gmail.com. And you can follow me on Twitter. My username there is at CatBusRuss. And you can follow me on Mastodon, where I'm creating a lot of great social contacts over there. I think that's the way to go. Threads is just a little too convoluted, at least to get signed up. Like, you have to have an Instagram. Well, I'm not going to... Main Event Zombie is not the brand right now. So, i got to create a new Instagram? Yeah, it gets confusing, but... You can follow me on Mastodon. Uh, my username there is at Russ Stevens at Mastodon.social. Otherwise, let me, well, thank you, Ava, for just being a fun little animal, giving me them scratches while I'm trying to record a podcast. 
But let me thank uh, Station Harden for keeping an eye on me, uh, keeping me motivated. I mean, she's somebody who I want to pay tribute to as much as I can. She keeps motivating me to do that. I hope that, you know, she's doing great with Skimbleshanks, the one-eared angel. I think that's an amusing little kitty that she's probably having a ball getting to play around with up there in the afterlife. And I hope she's still um, helping out everybody she touched in her life. So thanks, Stacia. Thank you for checking out the show. Uh, rate and subscribe on your favorite podcast apps. Five-star reviews, please. And be as honest as you want in the uh, wording. I'm only worried about the algorithm. And I do take criticism better than most. So thanks again and have yourselves a great week. In Hellraiser 1, Clive Barker showed you his vision of a private hell. In Hellraiser 2, he took you on a journey inside the inferno. Terror returns in mankind's final confrontation with evil. And this time, it's going to be hell on earth. Great club. I really love it here. It's a great club. Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth. So, I've just had quite the movie marathon uh, tonight. So, it is currently Sunday morning of the 24th. Yep. Sorry, I can uh, get lost between two jobs and this podcast. I digress. So, uh, as I said, had quite the movie marathon. Uh, Started with my good friend, friends, uh... Hannah and Isabel catching up on Hellraiser franchise. We got through the first two. The first one we watched uh, outside. And man, it's getting a lot colder quicker. So, and took it inside and watched uh, Hellraiser 2 on a little screen. And by the end of it, uh, Party of Six went down to three. And we watched Hellraiser 3. And it's a interesting movie. I would say there's a lot of money spent for a horror movie in the early 90s, honestly, with the, you know, since we're still in the practical effects era. 
I mean, there was some lousy CGI. I mean, this was before Jurassic Park, if I'm correct. I remember my uh, cousin Aubrey uh, had seen the movie on HBO. She had a uh, little uh, laissez-faire parents, I guess. Um, I would say that, you know, you always have that redneck uncle at some point in your life. And, um, yeah, so she saw that, like, on HBO or something. Fascinated by the person, the villain using CDs, the Cenobite using CDs. When it comes to the Cenobites, uh, Isabel pointed out uh, that somebody reviewed it and said these were characters. The Cenobites looked like not ready for uh, Star Trek First Contact Borg. And I would say they weren't ready for TGN, TNG, uh, the next generation. So it's an interesting mixed bag of quality. Uh, I guess you'd say quality. Like, as I say, there's some weak makeup effects with great ideas for Cenobites. The horror isn't really shot well, but once you... I mean, just because the chaos surrounding it. But once you get through that, uh, once you get to... Oh, and here's a set piece. Let's, you know, wrap a head in barbed wire or the C- CD deaths or hit pinhead turning into ice to then impale a woman through a skull you know it's just fun imagery which i think kind of makes it worthwhile but again it's like dang they spent a lot of money trying to make pinhead the movie which is essentially what hellraiser 3 is so i've already talked about hellraiser and hellbound hellraiser 2 on the podcast yeah granted a couple years ago but uh, i digress and it's a um as I say, this is supposed to be Pinhead the movie, and that is the redeeming quality of the feature, because they really let Pinhead become something. Like, oh, I am give him real personality instead of the stoic. So in a sense, they kind of turned a Michael Myers slash uh, Jason Voorhees into a Freddy Krueger. When you look at the early 90s and 90s horror in general, until we got Ghostface, and that's really a concept, I can't say that uh, we had a um, Freddy Krueger type. So it's fun to see that develop. So it's a story about the puzzle box ending up in the hands of the douchiest ninety early 90s New York club owner with a dark past and a reporter who's just trying to get a great story witnessing a person being dragged into an ER being stretched apart by chains and eventually having the head explode not um scanner's quality but you know fun for the time still mostly practical so and as i say i i say oh the great practical effects but then yeah we try our bet they try their best to like we have a time cop scenario at one point so the reporter eventually gets a hold of the box and in the meantime the box originally was attached to a statue that we see at the end of hellraiser 2 purchased by the douchebag club owner so inside that you have the spirit of pinhead and he's just looking for a way to get out of that and stay the hell out of hell so um 
as I say, the uh, visual effects, once you get to some good set pieces, are fun, but otherwise pretty ridiculous, and with the money that had to have been spent, uh, it's kind of crazy. But, uh, and clever enough ending, so they knew, okay, we've, we got Pinhead, if this movie works, we have a franchise. And Isabel said she had seen all all of the Hellraiser movies. So, it's got to be something, I guess. Um, but, you know, it's cool to see Doug Bradley just get the cut loose. It uh, gives a great performance as Pinhead and um, Pinhead's original World War One veteran. And there's just... Just a weird mix of 90s. Never mind what the fashion was at the time. At least it's not all Aquanet hair, like Hellraiser. But um, the music is a weird... You get a moment like, oh, that sounds like the Jesus and the Mary Chain. Uh, now there's some hair metal stuff. But then this uh, techno track, it's... It kind of feels like it may have been released to release a soundtrack. I guess they were going to make money from that movie somehow. But it's a silly movie. But, you know, as I say, getting Pinhead, a real, creating a real character out of a more three-dimensional character out of was a lot of fun. So if you like... Well, I can't say if you like Hellraiser and you like Hellbound, Hellraiser 2, you're going to like Hellraiser 3. You're just going to accept that this is a gimmicky, sloppy, money-grab horror movie. And judging that, I love those eras where every year we got a Saw movie. You gotta accept it for what it is, and I think it's. Uh, I had I had a good time, but could have also just been watching it with some good friends and riffing the hell out of it. <laughs> so that would be Hellbound. I'm uh, sorry, Hellraiser Three Hell World. I think it was. Oh, jeez, I gotta check IMDb. So many subtitles. I think number four is, uh, is, oh, jeez, Inferno, let me see, Hellraiser 3, oh, Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth, so, I think Hell World is the one with Henry Cavill and Lance Henriksen, which, I know the cinema snobs done it, to watch that video, but it's kind of like, ah, I gotta see, it's Lance Henriksen. And I think it's still Doug Bradley, so... Huh, for a future date. And the uh, next feature, I got home from Ogden, or was it Homer? That's uh, Illinois. A lot of gravel road. And uh, decided to get myself kind of prepped for Expendables 4, which is kind of the reason why I wasn't really pushing for guests this week. And next week's Saw X. So September's my month, I suppose. So I hope to get out to see how um, The Expendables for tomorrow or today, I guess, officially. But uh, let's go. So I went back to The Expendables 2, which is the most fun, I think, of the franchise. So I'm not going to say it's got the best action sequences, I think think you might have to go with the original for that the Jet Li Dolph Lundgren fight I get in the 
a lot better, a lot more fun with the henchmen. Your Gary Daniels, your uh, Steve Austin's. It's, um, yeah, just, I like to see those. I really wish we, you know, oh, do we have to waste them and not get them in the next movie? Like, Gary Daniels doesn't get that, you know, doesn't get to do A-list movies. Uh, but I digress. And so the Expendables 2, it picked kind of, I mean, it was made the quickest after the first one, I think 2012. I'm going to double check that. Uh, yeah, the Expendables 2. Uh, 2012, yeah, and I think it was 2014 for the, still the peak of Rondomania for the third one. So this is just a fun movie. That's really all you can say about it. I think it has the most gorific moments, um, but it's, the crew, you know, it's the Expendables being Sylvester Sloan, Jet Li, Dolph Lundgren, Terry Crews, Randy Couture, and they introduce briefly Liam Hemsworth, and I think it was, um, dang it, uh, well, I got it pulled, I got the search queue going, oh, come on. So, and a Chinese actress who I think is primarily doing her work in China, and we know how that relationship goes. So, uh, Nan Yu. So, Nan Yu is Bruce Willis assigns Nan Yu to accompany the Expendables to find a computer. To recover a computer from a crash plane that has the blueprint to a mine that the Soviets left with five tons of plutonium, and Jean Cod Van Damme and Scott Adkins, so immediately smaller villain lineup. But uh, Jean Claude Van Damme is named Villain, Villain. I, you know, silly little joke. Um, and Scott Adkins is his sidekick. Um, they go and get the blueprint and kill Liam Hensworth, so it's a story of vengeance. And there's a few standout action sequences. I like the uh, knife fight um, that Jason Sason starts in a uh, as is in priest robes. Um, but otherwise, the, this movie did not take itself seriously be, besides killing Liam Hemsworth. So it was, um, so, I mean, it's got a Chuck, they use Chuck Norris as the Chuck Norris joke in this feature. And maybe it's just my politics. <laughs> um, yeah, Chuck Norris, eh, I think it was good for the one joke and then. It just gets cruel at some point. Like, I'm killing the lowest scum of the earth is his attitude. And it's like, dude, I mean, yeah, we want to see all the villains die, but I don't want to just, I don't know. Maybe I'm getting too soft. And, of course, you got Bruce Willis and uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger getting some more bits than they did in the first film. Of course, this is post-gubernatorial uh, Schwarzenegger. Um, 
and the airport fight scene's fun, but you know, it's just like ah, I kind of want more of the gory action we had at the beginning. So it's kind of like you notice that let's get the score in right now before we might have to tone things back. So it's a lot of fan service, basically. Um, and I think that's what, I don't know if it's my favorite Expendables. I think the first one is the best. But as I say, this is the most fun because it really does not take itself seriously for a moment if you really stop and think about it. Um, Expendables 3, they go and, as I, you know, expand it to a two-hour feature, like, there's nine minutes of credits on the Expendables 2. So, okay, maybe it's only a 20-minute a increase time-wise on the Expendables 3. But they're just uh, spent too much time trying to create, make us care about young actors. Basically, they were just trying to set up the next movie to be released like two years late after that instead of like, oh... Nobody wanted to see this because it was PG-13, so we took out the gore, we took, you know, and we're adding actors we really just don't care about. <laughs> no offense, Ronda Rousey. Uh, I think, oh, yeah, I mean, all flash in the pans, essentially. Uh, sorry, I know, dead air, not good. So, The Expendables 3, I mean, you don't really even get any Jet Li or Schwarzenegger in that movie. Harrison Ford's just not, not going to get, not violent enough. And, um, you know, Mel Gibson's not going to draw anybody in. Like, I guess Kellen Lutz, uh, Ronda Rousey, um, yeah, Glenn Powell, Victor Ortiz, yeah, none of them really made it. Um... But, hey, you do get Robert Davey in a brief cameo. And, again, another guy who's a political douchebag. But I digress. But, yeah, they're basically we're trying to reset the series with the third one. And I just don't as don't care about those actors. Um, I will have to go and bring up on the podcast sometime the movie called Arena. Um, not 1989 Arena. I think it's 2011 Arena with Kellen Lutz uh, and Samuel L. Jackson. I had fun watching that one, but it's pure cheese. Um, so yeah, Expendables 2 is uh, still a lot of fun. Uh, it, it's, as I say, it is that is the popcorn movie. And, you know, I guess that's kind of what Hellraiser 3 is. It's a popcorn movie. It's just fun. Not, uh, I mean... Little, little less thinking involved when it comes to ex the Expendables 2, but, you know, Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth, is really just fun trying to make you wonder how they really are going to take the franchise. Um, throws, a lot of, throws a lot of stuff at the wall, and I don't think any, besides for Panhead, I don't think anything else sticks, but it's it's a fun spectacle spectacle so that that's really what uh, my movie marathon was about tonight uh well hellraiser and hellbound hellraiser 2 that's more just like i wanted to see what other people reacted to it because 
I think only three of us had seen the seen the first two movies. And um, but uh, yeah, so it's just great to get out there. I really should have just gone and forced a podcast right then with the uh, last ladies standing. But you know, when we're coming up on one o'clock then, and now I'm coming up on four o'clock now. So I will see what goes on next. I'm planning to watch. Basically, what I'm going to do or plan to do is watch the first movie of a franchise and then somehow tomorrow and then we're going to I'll just go in and talk about uh, the uh, well I guess it's just Expendables or Expend Forbles <laughs> we have a lot of fun with horror movies and we have to uh, try incorporating the number I guess so that is my plan and I hope um, you'll stick around for those Hold on to your butts. 90 for Chill, the podcast, proudly presents to you Allie's Accessories Shop on Etsy's Trash Feature Review. The puppets of Andre Toulon. First, they made you smile. And then, they made you die. Blade. Pinhead. Jester, Leech Woman, and Tunneler. Now the show has begun again. And this time, their master is back from beyond the grave. You dropped me back. And Andre Toulon is proud to present the newest addition to his terrifying troupe. You may think you got the powers of hell on your side. Torch. They thought they could unlock Toulon's secrets. It's amazing. But what these researchers have opened... No one can escape. We're all in danger as long as we remain in this house. ...is a Pandora's box of death. Master 2. His unholy creations hold the strings to your life. I know how to get into things. So I've just completed watching Puppet Master 2 from 1991, a Full Moon's feature film with a story by, of course, Charles Band, and obviously a sequel to Puppet Master, which was a I think it was kind of a charming horror movie. I mean, low-budget horror movie. I mean, I do dig the puppets. And I can see why, I believe, as I'm reading the back of the DVD box set I got from Allie, it says that, oh, and yeah, and then they start fighting off uh, bad guys in the next movie. And I don't know if that carries on all the way through the rest of the franchise, but 
it leaves me curious enough to keep following it. So, with that said, it's a flawed film in many ways. I think they have a lot more fun with the puppets in this film. Um, so this is a movie about a set of killer puppets from the first film who are trying to extend their life. So they have resurrected their puppet master who committed suicide in 1941 to avoid getting captured by the Nazis. And from there, our puppet master is looking to bring back his uh, wife. So wouldn't you know it, when they resurrect him, a group of paranoid uh, United States Department of Paranormal Affairs visits the hotel from the first feature to try to see if there's anything to the events that the lone survivor speaks of as he's institutionalized. So it's an entirely new cast of characters outside of our puppets. And I would say that the exposition just drags this movie down. I mean, they made a good effort with it. Uh, They made a convincing Egypt to show us where we learned of the puppet master ability to bring life to inanimate objects, essentially. But aside from that, it's just kind of kind of feels pointless. I mean, not pointless. It just drags. I mean, we get a great showdown with some rednecks uh, against some of the puppets. We get little cute little bits about how the puppets make mistakes by collecting animal brains to create their serum. And another, and there is a fun showdown between a bratty little boy and torch the flame throwing puppet which i really i don't know if i needed to see the end result but eh, that little kid was annoying so it's not i mean that's just it there's just nothing to the characters there's no i think that's just my biggest problem aside if we would have told the story completely from the andre toulon perspective he's the puppet master i think you'd have a more interesting movie but we got to bring these people in and we're supposed to care about these people and there's just nothing unique about them at least with the first film you had so-called psychics as your characters and really not involving Toulon, uh, just the pup, just the puppets witnessing a game accountant mouse. Another psychic is trying to play on our four protagonists. Um, so yeah, it's a weak story, but again, the puppets are fun. Uh, I kind of love how they mix the uh, visual mediums. Obviously, you have the stop motion with the puppets, but then there's definite bits where they're using uh, hands from people to pull off the effects, but pulling it out, you know, pulling out wide so it doesn't look like they're big old hands. And, you know, I kind of think you might have seen some of this kind of effects used, say, in Team America World Police. So it's charming in that sense, but. If you didn't see the first movie, or if you're not in true, and I'll go back to that. So if you didn't see the first movie, you're not really going to get anything out of this movie, I think. 
As for the sequels after this, it kind of brings me back to Hellraiser 3. Essentially, we... I think the producers... Well, there's a lot more drama I've heard about uh, Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth, i.e. that they couldn't get uh, the actress who played Julia back for it. So they instead of making it about her, they made it about Pinhead. But the point of the matter is they wanted to keep using Pinhead because so, he was so cool. And hence we get these more of these Puppet Master movies and we change the perspective to make the antagonists, the people we want to cheer for, instead throughout the uh, sequels. So more focus on the puppets. So it could be interesting, and I can't help but be curious. But again, watch the first one before you go and venture in on this one. So with all that said, I went to Ali's Accessory Shop on Etsy's Trash Features, to pull this out for a weird equation. So we have Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth, The Expendables 2, and Puppet Master 2. What I'm trying to do here is a weird formula, i.e. I'm gonna go and watch Saw X or Saw 10. I don't, you know, let's, let's not, well, I don't know what people think. Well, I guess the Fast and the Furious set the standard now, so. Okay, Saw X. So, I guess I could have made it, since it's not 10, I guess I could have made it about anything. But I'm trying to come up with an equation to equal 10. Right now we have Hellraiser 3 plus Expendables 2 in parentheses times Puppet Master 2, hence 10. So, we'll see if this works out. I'm going to check out Saw X tomorrow. I'm going to see if I can get somebody lined up to chat about it. Not necessarily looking promising. And then it's, but we got a lot of great things going on, at least on Mastodon, that I think we're going to have an interesting October otherwise. So, spooky month, here we come. Can I hear a wahoo?